This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome back, everyone, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. As the announcer guy just told you, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined by my pal, Jeffrey K. Roars, Esquire, Vice President. What did we say last week, Jeff? Vice President of all things awesome at Salesforce Something Marketing like Cloud. That. Yeah. We're going to keep working on new titles every week. I, I, you can come up with one every week. I, I won't mind. Vice president of uh, what is it? Uh, you know, we'll start using like Game of Thrones uh, references would be great. You know, vice president of the Iron Throne. Jeffrey <laughs> the mountain. That's right. Well, Jeffrey K. Roars. <laughs> I think I think you're more like the hound more than the mountain. Well, we'll, we'll, yeah, uh, well, you know, we, well, I don't want to give out spoilers. So <laughs> we'll, we'll unpack that in next week's episode. You feel like uh, I have a big brother who, you know, beat me up and, and put fire to my face. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's, you mumble about it in your sleep. <laughs> we are, uh, we are missing Mr. Uh, Mr. Nick today, but we are going to uh, press on because we have such a fantastic guest today uh, that, that we want to hear more from him. And it is Jeremy McPeak, my old pal, who is the vice president of digital at the Phoenix Suns. Go Suns. Jeremy, thanks so much for being on the program. You bet, guys. How you doing? Fantastic. As a uh, Jan, long-term, I, long-term I, Arizona guy, I'm delighted to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate that. I, I listen to the podcast all the time. I read your tweets. I've got your utility book. So I'm honored to be on the show. And uh, Jeffrey, it's great to meet you and uh, anybody with a vice president of awesome title uh, must be pretty awesome. So uh, looking forward to it. You need to get Likewise. you need to get Jeff's book. He'll send you a copy. It's called Audience and it is really, really fantastic. Uh, Jeremy, you will love it. It is right up your alley. I heard you talking about it on a recent podcast, so I, I thought I needed to pick it up. It's so really good. Forward to that. We will connect those dots uh, for you. So uh, it is basketball season. Like, it's game on. Here we go. Uh, you know, your strategy as a team seems to be to get as many uh, combinations of brothers as possible. For those who are not NBA fans or not Suns <laughs> fans, the Suns have two sets of brothers uh, on, on their on their squad, the twin uh, Morris brothers and then the uh, Drogic uh uh, brothers, both uh, both a point guard. So you have like 14 point guards and two sets of brothers. It is a strange roster, as it were. It is the point guardians of the galaxy roster, like we as we like to call it. And uh, if I had a brother, I would be uh, recruiting him to join our digital team just to uh, keep keep the <laughs> just, so within the point guardians of the galaxy. Who's the crazy uh, wisecracking raccoon um, within that within that crew? Oh, no question. That's Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Okay. There you he, go. He's a talker. He's he's the new addition. He's a talker. He's a little shorter than the other two as well. So he uh, he probably fits the rocket raccoon mold. There you go. Fantastic. I love it. That movie was so good. Uh, you have been now. This is interesting because you know we've had a hundred and whatever it is fifty, almost hundred and fifty uh, guests on this program over the last two and a half years, almost three years, and most of the people who we talk to on the program have been in their role for, uh, you know, a little while, a few years. Sometimes we have people on the show who recently joined an organization, which is always interesting to kind of see what is their first uh, hundred days like uh, Margie from Kohler. Uh, in fact, we had a few weeks ago and that was kind of her circumstance. But most people have been in their role uh, a handful of years. You have been with the Phoenix Suns for 23 years. It's true. I'm old. <laughs> um, I actually listened to uh, your podcast last week, and you guys talked about the uh, the futureself.orange website. Yes. Yes. Right. So I uh, immediately pulled out my phone and, and tried it out, and uh, I was already old, so it, it made me look pretty decrepit when I um, it took a snapshot of myself and showed me what I'm going to look like in 20 years. But I still had hair, so I was I was excited about that. Well, that that could be could have been a mistake in the programming. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, you started off in this organization, uh, you know, as an intern, right, as, as a kid, and, and they just could never get rid of you. You're like gum on the shoe. Uh, <laughs> tell people about what your 
uh, journey inside the organization has been like, because, you know, here you are vice president of digital and you joined the team before there was digital. I mean, before, before that was even right. a thing. I mean, not even social media, this is the social pros podcast, but, uh, you know, you and I, uh, have, have been, um, in the same market for a good part of our careers. And, uh, I've been in digital for 20 years. You've been in digital for 20 years. You were, you started working at the organization before we had, uh, I know we had computers, but we certainly didn't have browsers. There was no phoenixsuns.com because there was no such no. thing. No, there wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I was a big Suns fan as a teenager, and when I was in college, thought I wanted to be a sports writer, and uh, was pursuing a journalism degree at Arizona State University. And so I um, got an internship with the Suns in '92, and uh, also a part-time job working in their team shop. So it was kind of uh, working in two different areas, just trying to get my foot in the door. And once I graduated uh, college in 95, um, they hired me full-time to uh, work on their team magazine at the time, which was called Fast Break, and it was a, a monthly magazine. Um, and uh, Jim Brewer was my editor. I know you're, you're, you and Jim are old friends as well. Um, but I still remember um, right around that time after I got hired, our uh, PR director at the time got a fax uh, from the NBA. It was a memo um, announcing that the NBA was launching this portal on the information superhighway and each team was going to be responsible for a page and I was in her office when she got this fax and she kind of read it over and just kind of handed it to me and said why don't you do this I, I don't know what this is and uh, and I had no idea what it was either so it, it, you know it was really a lot of right place right time um, we did not have internet we did not have email we did not have smartphones when I started and uh, our, our primary form of communication with our fans was that magazine, which went to about 15,000 people, and almost all of them were here locally. So it's, uh, it is crazy to see how much has changed in a relatively short amount of time, um, in, in, uh, although I guess 20 years isn't a short amount of time, but uh, it is crazy to think we went from that, uh, reaching fans once a month, to now we're reaching them in real time, and we've got 4 million fans visiting our website each year from 230 different countries. Um, and we're connecting with them in all kinds of different ways, including in their pocket, their cell phone, in their cars, wherever they are. Um, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun to see the, that, that evolution of, uh, of our industry, for sure. Well, and certainly the, the macro trends of, of mobility and internet and those kind of things drive that to some degree. But, but I think we need to make sure people at home understand that, that you're not just a guy who does digital for a basketball team. You are the guy who does the digital for the basketball <laughs> team. Um, you were awarded the 2014 Digital Innovator Award by the National Basketball Association for your work and your team's work on behalf of the Suns. I mean, you guys really are at the vanguard of what's happening in the NBA. Uh, and, and if not the best, certainly among the best of the folks out there. Why is that? I mean, you, you, on the surface, right, you're all dealt the same hand of cards. You got a basketball team. People love basketball, especially globally, as you mentioned. Um, everybody can be on Facebook. Everybody can be on Instagram. Everybody has a similar website using the NBA template. Why are you guys better at digital than, than other teams? Well, that's very generous of you to say. Um, I, I don't know that we necessarily are better than all the other teams. I would say there there are a number of reasons that we've received a lot of attention and 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 credit. Um, number one, I would say is is my my team around me. Um, I've got a staff of uh, 13 people, counting myself, which is the largest in the NBA, if not the largest in sports. Um, and I've got a lot of really talented guys on my team. I've got to give uh, shout outs to Dan Hilton, our, our director of digital. And Greg Esposito, um, our uh, digital manager, uh, both of them are incredibly talented. And uh, really, the whole team makes me look good and our organization look good. Um, but we've got a, a lot of different people with different skill sets that, that contribute in a lot of different ways. And we really, I think, uh, come together and, and have been able to do some pretty cool things. Uh, but then, then secondly, the big thing I would say is, is that we have that support of upper management. Um, the fact that I've been allowed to build this team from uh, myself to adding a couple people, to adding a few more people, to adding a video people, to social people, and we've been able to just grow it to where we have 13 uh, people, whereas most NBA teams probably have between five and seven um, at this stage. It allows us to do more than other teams are. So, so I don't know that I would say that we're necessarily uh, you know, significantly better or more talented or more creative than other teams. We just have more people that are able to put their heads together and come up with stuff, which has really been a big benefit for us. I mean, that is a pretty large team. That That's a fairly significant chunk of overhead that you are carrying. What What is the 
what is the payback formula on that? I mean, obviously you've got season ticket holders, you've got single game ticket holders, et cetera. How do you calculate uh, the magic ROI word or, or do you, or sort of what is the strategic thrust of, of the digital program? You know, the strategic, there are a lot of strategic thrusts. You know, we're trying to do a lot of different things, um, not only for the Phoenix Suns, but also the uh, Phoenix Mercury, the uh, WNBA champions, um, as well as the U.S. Airway Center, which has uh, concerts and events and family shows throughout the year. So we, we manage all of the websites, social media, mobile apps, um, as well as print publications, since that's kind of my original background. Uh, for all those properties. So we're, we, are, we are doing probably more than other teams as well, so that, that's part of the reason we have as large a staff as we do. Uh, but we definitely have to keep real close tabs on what it is we're doing and how that's paying off for us uh, in terms of revenue and ROI. And so we track you know, every single ticket link that we push out via social or mobile or web. Uh, we track those sales and where they're coming from for uh, single game tickets, group tickets, holiday plans, season tickets, uh, renewals of season tickets each year. Um, and then another big component is our marketing partnerships. And, and literally every one of our marketing partners uh, wants to be involved in our digital channels and our social media channels in particular. Um, so we're, we're, we work really closely with the uh, marketing partnership sales department to uh, come up with creative ways to integrate those partners and, and help them activate and sell digital um, assets which is uh, something that's you know, new in the last five or six years as well. So we are helping the organization generate revenue through tickets and sponsorship, and then also just helping you know, the organization drive TV ratings and merchandise sales and fan affinity and, and building that uh, brand connection with our fan base that hopefully will result in you know, young people growing up with this organization and bringing their own kids uh, generation after generation. So. We don't always see the, the exact ROI every single day and know the, the true impact we're making, but uh, we're definitely making one. That's a lot of content themes to cover, right? You've got, as you said, holiday packs, single game, season tickets, renewals, merch, tune-in, contest, sponsor stuff. How do you balance that from an editorial standpoint, being a former journalist? I mean, there's only so many tweets in the gun, right? There's only so many Facebook posts. There's only so many landing pages. There's only so many email newsletters. So how do you decide what to send and, and, and when to send it on what channel? And then do you use some sort of software to plan that out? And, and how far in advance do you kind of have that editorial um, rundown sheet figured out? You know, it is a constant juggling act. Um, we do have a, a, a request form that we've built internally um, that uh, anyone in the organization can submit requests to, whether they want something on the website or they want something on um, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, or in our mobile app or in our newsletter or in our game night program we put together, um, or they want coverage of an event. You know, We've got a PR event or a community relations event, and they want to have a cameraman come out and shoot that, cover it for digital. Um, so we've built this uh, internal request system that people can submit to, and they have to uh, give us requests uh, at least a week in advance, and then we have someone that, uh, on our administrative side that helps um, put those requests into the calendar, a social uh, media calendar for us, and um, we have a limit on how many different posts per channel we'll, we're willing to do uh, per day, and that depends on if it's an off day or a game day. That varies a little bit. Um, and then... We also try to schedule out kind of the key points in the season that we know that there's going to be certain team events going on, whether it's uh, our Phoenix Suns Charities uh, annual jump ball um, gala, or whether it's uh, an open practice the team is doing for the public, or um, you know just different kind of events that we know every single year are going to happen. But then we also have four or five of the guys on, on our team that are constantly creating new content around the team, and, and that really varies day to day just depending on what's happening with the team. Um, who they're coming up uh, to play next and who's maybe um, uh, injured right now or who's stepping up, which rookie is really playing well. So that, that content's a lot harder to schedule out very far in advance because you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but if we can keep everything else kind of scheduled, it makes it easier to then uh, work the content in because really that's why fans come to our website. That's why they follow us on social. That's why they download our app because they uh, are fans of the team and they want that latest uh, content on the team. So that's that's really, I would say, is the primary focus for us because we have to have great content to keep fans coming back so that they are exposed to the ticket ads and they are exposed to the, the sponsor messaging. Yeah, you're very, very good at that brand journalism 
side of it across a multitude of social channels. And and you said you've got three or four people on the team who are out there making that content. Are they assigned per channel? So so do you have an Instagram person uh, versus a, a Pinterest person, or are they somebody's a photographer and somebody's a videographer, or they just make stuff and you figure out where to put it once they've made it? A little bit of all of the above. Um, we have a number of guys who just, uh, they're, they're content people, so they're creating. We've got one guy who's a digital video producer, and he shoots, edits, and produces his all the videos for our, our new Rise network, which is our digital network on, on all our channels. Um, we've got another guy that's uh, primarily a blogger, another guy that's kind of a beat writer um, and helps out with publications. Um, and then I mentioned Greg Esposito earlier. He's their digital manager who kind of determines where we're going to push out all the content. So he decides what's going to be on the homepage of suns.com and where we're going to push via Twitter or Facebook today and when we're going to push it. Um, but then we also have uh, one guy that's a, a uh, diehard Phoenix Mercury fan and knows the team inside and out. So he is responsible for the Mercury social media channels. Uh, we have somebody else who helps and really focuses on the U.S. Airway Center's social media channels. Um, and then we have a photo archivist in our department who's responsible for managing 47 years of Phoenix Suns uh, photography and just newspaper clips and box scores. Uh, but he's also a talented photographer himself um, and, and pretty good with graphics. So he does a lot of our Instagram for us, especially the infographics and the uh, kind of illustration stuff for, for uh, Instagram. But it's really a team effort. Um, Greg probably does... 70 to 80 percent of our our uh, Twitter content. Um, I do probably 25 percent of it. Uh, I do a lot of Instagram. I do some help. I help out on Facebook. So uh, again, it's it's a number of people doing different things, and it helps that everybody's kind of got uh, multiple skills that they can contribute with. You and I have been involved in this, as we said, since the very beginning. Jeff has as well. Jeff's a, a very uh, old school digital marketer from the very very beginning. When you think about what you're doing today. Uh, and and the number of places that you're communicating and the subsequent or corresponding um, sort of decline in, in the power of the traditional press. I mean, you guys are telling your own story uh, at the same time that the people who used to tell your story, there's less and less of them. Uh, what surprises you the most? Um, you know, what, if you would have said 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, look into the future, what are you doing today that you're like, there's no way I would have predicted that? Wow, ten years ago, um, so much has changed in ten years. I, you know, I don't think I don't think I saw social media coming. Um, in fact, I remember in two thousand seven, we uh, we won the NBA's first ever uh, team website of the year award, and uh, we had league meetings in New Orleans, and I was asked to come up on stage and receive the award from Commissioner Stern. I felt like Steve Nash receiving the MVP award, you know, thinking that we we knew we knew everything there was to know about digital, and we are amazing. And my uh, my head was getting a little too big. And it, at the, those same meetings, um, the league encouraged teams to to create a page on on MySpace and uh, put your videos on YouTube so we can reach more fans. And and I thought they were crazy. I thought, why in the world would we want to do that? We want people coming to our website. We don't want to just be pushing content out content out on these other channels where we don't get ticket sales and we don't have sponsorships and that doesn't make any sense at all. So I completely dismissed it. And of course, you know, it was a, a year later that Shaq gets on Twitter and everything changes for us. So I wish I could say that I, I saw that coming and, and had an idea of what was coming for social media, but I had no clue. Um, and I certainly didn't didn't see how far things would come with, with mobile as well. Um, I remember our team president at the time, Rick Welts, um, was talking to me, gosh, probably eight years ago um, about how can we how can we let our fans in the building know um, what what who's the stat leader after each quarter through their phones can is that something that that we could collect email or collect Twitter addresses or email addresses um, excuse me and uh, email them the stats at the quarter break so they have them on their phones and uh, that seemed really far-fetched and and uh, cumbersome and convoluted at the time and and now now fans are getting real-time stats and live highlights in arena and they're seeing the shot chart and they can listen to the play-by-play uh, -play -play guy if they bring their earbuds and so it's, it's it really is incredible how fast things have changed and and how they're constantly changing um i certainly learned over the years not to dismiss anything out of hand or or um you know 
think that we know what we're doing at this point because it does change so fast. We have to be open to new ideas and trying new things and seeing what works because you just don't know what's going to stick. Jeremy, this is Jeff. Um, I'm interested in um, how how you work with and advise the players with regard to their presence on social media. Is that something that your, your team actually uh, works with them on? And if so, how has that evolved over the last decade? You know, we don't work with them a whole lot in that area. Um, we certainly are, are talking to them frequently, uh, getting interviews and, and doing photo shoots and sitting them down for on-camera interviews. And um, we will have players who maybe they're they're new to Instagram and they ask us if we can somehow help them promote their, their Instagram uh, through the Suns account. Um, or they will retweet us and we'll retweet them when they're, they're tweeting out some fun uh, photos or uh, interesting quotes. Um, so we kind of have a good working relationship with the players, but I wouldn't say that we really do a whole lot of um, coaching or teaching them what to do unless they specifically ask for it. Uh, and that's changed a little bit because early on there were players that were brand new to it and they would ask us, hey, how do you think I can grow my, my followers and what should I do to, to uh, really connect with fans more? And so we would kind of, at that point, um, help come up with some con concepts for them, whether it was a, a contest that we could help them uh, promote and drive people to follow them, um, or whether it was uh, actually encouraging them to tw change their Twitter name so they were easier to find on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, or actually reaching out to Twitter and helping get them verified. Um, so there are things that we, we help with here and there, but I wouldn't say that uh, we've done a whole lot of uh, uh, hand-holding or, or strategizing for them. Um, a lot of them like to do it on their own, or they have their own um, you know, managers or public relations people uh, that their, their agent or their agencies um, are, are a part of that, that kind of give them advice and consult them on their, uh, their own kind of brand management. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm interested, you know, again, uh, as, as Jay uh, spoke to, each of us has been around this, uh, you know, a pretty, a pretty long time. One of the, the interesting things here at Social Pros is we get to interview so many folks across so many industries, and social media has such a customer service element in, in many, many industries. I'm really intrigued in your industry, um, there's obviously going to be a lot of positive sentiment, but also a lot of negative sentiment around, you know, uh, team gameplay or performance or things that you're probably right. not going to engage folks in. Can you talk a little bit about where that line uh, lies for you as you engage folks around kind of negative team sentiment uh, or, you know, performance and, and where where is the customer service line for you? Uh, that's a good question. Certainly customer service is a, an important piece of, of what we do, especially on game nights uh, here at U.S. Airways Center. Um, uh, Greg, who I mentioned, is monitoring social, uh, particularly Twitter, throughout the game. And if he sees someone uh, who complains about uh, a broken seat or uh, a bad view from where they are or someone around them is being uh, rowdy, um, he immediately forwards that tweet to our customer service uh, team here in the arena who then will respond um, right away to help that, that fan here in the building. So he certainly keeps an eye on that, but, but even that's a bit of a challenge um, because there are, depending on the game, there are thousands of people tweeting about the game and the Suns, and so he's, the tweets are just flying past. Um, so he's trying to skim them as they're coming in and does a great job of it, catches the majority of that kind of thing. Um, in terms of fans, you know, voicing their, their opinions and negative opinions in particular when, when the team is not playing well, um, I would not say that we, we interact with that sort of content a whole lot. Um, we certainly encourage fans to share their opinion, and that's really what makes uh, social media um, so amazing is that people can voice their thoughts and, and opinions at any point on any topic. Um, but we're not going to get into an argument or, or criticize anyone if they say something negative about our, you know, whatever, our owner or our coach or players or whatever. We just kind of let them voice their opinion and we're not going to interact with that. A lot of times if we do, it would just uh, cause a war of words or they'll sure. retweet it and a bunch of their friends who are also angry will jump in. And so we just kind of leave that alone. Um, 
in terms of Facebook in particular, where, where their comments are left on our page, as long as they're civil and, and respectful, we leave them. Um, so they can, they can say they feel like um, the owner's uh, making bad decisions or the coach needs to be replaced or whatever it is. And as long as it's respectful, we, we leave it there. But if they start to use profanity or get really uh, crude or uh, really over the line disrespectful, that, then we certainly delete those comments. Gotcha. So uh, honest, it, it's, yeah. it's interesting because um, this past sun season was one of the more enjoyable um, and exciting for fans in quite a while because we came into the season with no expectations and we ended up uh, a really entertaining, exciting young team that was really working hard and you know earned the fans' respect. Um, so it was a great season for us on social media. All the all the comments were you know, positive and and, um, and praise. The year before that, however, was the worst in the 23 years I've worked here. Um, the team was uh, really, really struggled on the court, had the worst record, one of the worst records in franchise history. We had a coaching change. Um, the new coach that was brought in, fans weren't happy about. And so there was a lot of negativity, and we were just slammed on social every single day of the year. And that got really tough, um, uh-huh. mostly just from a mental standpoint for us to read it all day long and, and know that we're working incredibly hard, and our, our team's working hard, and the organization's doing everything they can. And, and yes, the, the product on the floor is not good, um, but at the moment, we can't do anything about it, and yet we're just getting barraged by, <laughs> by angry fans. So that was, uh, that was an interesting year to, uh, to deal with. I imagine I, that's that's got to be dispiriting as a, as a longtime Cleveland fan of all sports. Uh, I am I am very used to that feeling. So uh, we're hoping <laughs> we're hoping uh, that our uh, basketball franchise might be able to turn it around this year uh, because of a little free agent pickup that we had in the off season. So we'll see. Um, yeah, you know, before we joined the call, I, I told you that uh, one of my oldest friends in the NBA is David Griffin, the the Cavs GM. So. Uh, although the Suns will always be my team, um, I am secretly rooting for the Cavs um, in the East Coast to uh, get uh, at least as far as we do, and, and hopefully we beat them in the finals. I would not mind seeing that final, but obviously <laughs> rooting for a, a far different outcome. Right. Hey, of speaking course. speaking of the future, um, look into your crystal ball. What uh, what does the future hold uh, in terms of channel and technology and fan engagement that gets you excited? Uh, the, the NBA um, in the offseason has actually had a couple of really interesting uh, developments, right? The, the huge uh, ESPN uh, deal for television rights, and then right. Mark Cuban was uh, 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 pontificating about a potential World Cup tournament kind of scenario, uh, you know, possibly coming to the NBA at some point. Um, those are obviously things that, that impact the game as a whole, but as you look to the future in your patch of land, what gets you excited? You know, I think for me, it's just uh, the time we're in right now is really exciting. The fact that we are able to communicate with fans in so many different ways, in so many different areas, and get get that real-time feedback and really make uh, strong connections with them, rather than in the past where it was a one-way communication where we were just pushing out messages, and occasionally we'd get a a handwritten letter back in the mail. Um, It's just really cool now that we can interact with fans in that way and, and get their instant feedback and know what they're thinking and how they're feeling and um, I, I, I see it continuing to evolve. I don't exactly know where it's going to go, but I certainly think mobile is going to become more and more important. Um, just in the last 18 months, we've seen a massive shift in the, the uh, traffic uh, to our, our website um, going from desktop to mobile. So um, this past season, we had, I want to say, 60% of all traffic um, came through a mobile device, either our mobile website or our mobile app. Um, so that's incredible to think how fast that has changed, and I think that'll, that shift will continue to happen. So um, I think teams will need to continue to look to improve their mobile experience, especially in their arenas on a game night, making uh, it a really user-friendly experience for fans the second they leave their house, um, getting directions on their phone to the arena, getting to be able to show their app and get into the parking garage, show their app. Uh, for tickets for mobile ticketing and no longer having physical tickets, uh, show their app at concession stands and get uh, discounts or rack up uh, loyalty points, and then in the arena itself during the game, being able to get that uh, you know instant replays on their phone 
um, 30 seconds later after a dramatic dunk from Gerald Green or a big three-point shot from um, Goran Dragic. Um, so I think the mobile experience is just going to continue to uh, expand, and I don't I don't think it's far off. I mean, I think we're talking about this year, um, this year, and next year, and um, we're going to be able to do all those kind of things. And uh, so it'll be really exciting to see where we are five years from now. Uh, I really have no clue where that'll be, but I'm, I'm sure it's not going to just uh, the evolution's not going to stop here. Jeremy, one of the other things we're seeing more with NBA teams and really all sports franchises is a is a move toward crowdsourcing or user generated participation in things like, hey, who should we draft? Right? You've seen some of those uh, kind of gambits. Right. Um, are, are you embracing some of that fan participation in that way and saying, hey, maybe we had to ask these guys um, who the best lineup is or what what alternate jersey we should uh, we should use, et cetera? You know, we've we certainly have uh, been. We were certainly early adopters in terms of user-generated content. Um, we had a website called PlanetOrange.net back in 2007, which was kind of a a mashup of MySpace and YouTube, where fans could create their own uh, Suns uh, profile and and upload their photos and video for chance to win autographed basketballs and merchandise. And um, so we've done that sort of all along, and uh, continue to do that now, asking fans to uh, tweet in their uh, mashup of uh, the Suns and their favorite movie, or or um, submit uh, photos of their favorite uh, Phoenix Suns uh, jack o' lantern that they just carved this week, uh, heading into Halloween. So we're constantly trying to get fans involved and and ask them to uh, help generate content for us. In terms of kind of um, crowdsourcing, if you will, we haven't we haven't done anything like that um, on the basketball side as of yet. Um, I love the concept. Uh, but we are constantly asking fans what they think about things, what they think about uh, our, our new uniforms, what's your favorite uniform, what kind of music do you want to hear in the arena, um, uh, what sort of ticket offers um, would interest you most, what's your favorite halftime performance we've ever had. And we certainly take a look at their feedback and, and share that internally. Um, and I know our game operations crew looks at that closely, our basketball uh, the business uh, side of our organization looks at that kind of fan feedback that we get all the time. Uh, we haven't yet got to the point where we ask fans to uh, vote on something like a uniform or, or lineups, uh, but I think that would be pretty cool if we if we ever get there. Of all the things that you've been involved in, and it's it's been a lot, on the social media side, what do you consider to be your, your greatest success? What is your uh, – Social media obituary. What's the first line of that uh, for you, Jeremy? <laughs> um, hopefully that won't be written for a while. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I don't, I don't know that I can think of one particular thing on the social media side that I'm most proud of other than the fact that we've um, continued to try to kind of push the envelope and, and create new things and, and be innovative. I think that's probably the biggest thing, that we're always looking for new ways to do something and new ways to take advantage of a social or, or digital or mobile. Um, so that, that's probably the biggest thing I would say. Uh, in terms of my favorite uh, or proudest accomplishment with the organization, it was actually non-digital related, but back in um, 2004, our uh, team president at the time, Brian Colangelo, and our head coach, uh, new head coach at the time, Mike D'Antoni, asked if uh, I would help uh, and my team would help put together a uh, recruiting piece to try and get uh, Steve Nash to uh, re-sign with the Suns um, while he was in Dallas. So we uh, put together a 100-page coffee table book custom published just for him and had a uh, leather-bound cover that said Turning Point on the cover with a big Suns logo emblazoned on it and had 100 pages of just content about our organization, our city, um, had a lot of Photoshop work of him in a son's uniform standing next to Amari Stoudemire and, and uh, Sean Marion and Joe Johnson and fictional uh, Ring of Honor section where he would be in the Ring of Honor. We kind of wrote um, what his bio would be when he retires as a Phoenix Sun. And so that, that was an amazing uh, project to work on, and, and even more so once he, uh, he did decide to leave Dallas and, and Mark Cuban and, and re-sign with us. Um, and uh, and he left the book. So that that probably was my proudest accomplishment, even though it wasn't digital. I remember that. I remember you guys getting credit for that and that being written up in the local papers when I was there. That was uh, that was that was really something. And as a uh, Suns fan, I'm I'm uh, proud of that accomplishment of yours as well. I miss uh, I miss <laughs> Steve Nash very much. Uh, 
obviously the right decision probably to let him go when when uh, the Suns let him go. Right. Had a tough go with it on this, from a health perspective. Same thing with Amari, right? I mean, the the, yeah, the administration yeah. of the Suns has been beaten up a lot about letting guys go, but uh, I think history has proven them correct most of the time. Yeah, you're right. Except for maybe Joe Johnson, that'd be the only one that probably that that's the one that maybe our, a do over yeah, our owner. Our owner, Robert Sarver, points to that himself, is that that's the one big mistake he regrets in his uh, 10 years as an owner of the team so far. That and uh, guys leaving the bench, but that's an inside baseball reference. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, I'm sure the Steve Nash bio uh, was more, hey, we're going to win multiple championships and and, uh, not so many MVPs for him, but more team championships. Unfortunately, we're still waiting, but one of these days it's going to happen. Right. You know, Mike D'Antoni at the time kind of joked the, the the book idea was really more Brian Colangelo's, I should say, because Mike D'Antoni used to joke that we should just hollow out the book and put more money inside of it. And that probably would have been just as big a draw as the book itself. But but I was still proud to have worked on. So I can help say I recruited Steve Nash back to Phoenix. Absolutely. Uh, last question before we get to the two big questions at the end is you guys have an enormous audience. How much have you relied on uh, either historically or even now on paid social? Is that something that you're involved in? Are you doing a lot of Facebook ads, Twitter ads, et cetera? No, very little. Um, we've done, we've probably done more of it on the U S airway center side actually. Um, so when we have a big show coming in, we'll, we'll, uh, uh, buy Facebook ads or promoted posts, um, trying to reach uh, the key demographic of that particular event. Uh, but on the Sun side, we haven't done a whole lot of it. Um, occasionally we will if there's a big game we're trying to push tickets for or a special um, new ticket package to, ticket package coming out that we want to promote. And uh, our marketing department will work with our um, ad agency um, to uh, kind of help craft that uh, advertising and, and then buy the uh, Facebook post. Um, but we don't do that uh, real frequently. I kind of wish we would do it a little more often, but um, we haven't done that uh, as much as as probably some other organizations have. Well, if you don't need to, you don't need to, yeah? Good problem to have. Yeah, true. True. Absolutely. Good problem to have. Okay, Jeremy, I'm going to give you a second to uh, to steal your nerves and prepare for the two big questions that we ask each <laughs> guest at the end of the show. Meanwhile, I'm going to remind the folks at home that this podcast, Social Pros, that you're listening to, is brought to you by the good people at Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Uh, Jeff asked a great question about customer service and responding to, to fans and social media. Uh, Salesforce Marketing Cloud has a free download that can help you think through some of those issues. It's called Eight Steps to Transformative Social social customer service. Uh, customers today, of course, are bypassing the legacy methods of of uh, sending you a letter or even calling you or emailing you, and they want real-time assistance uh, via Twitter and Facebook, and, and that can be very, very difficult for organizations. Uh, there are ways to do that well and ways to do that quite a bit less well, and Salesforce Marketing Cloud wants to help you do it well. You should download this free guide right now as soon as we're done with the show. It's called Eight Steps to Transformative Social Customer Service from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. You can get it at bit.ly slash transform service. That's bit.ly slash transform service, all lowercase. And the show is also brought to you by the good people at Formstack. Uh, Formstack, one of my favorite software uh, tools out there. It allows people like us who are marketers, not IT guys, to be able to create and test their own forms, their own landing pages, all of that jazz. They have a really neat uh, research report now uh, that uses um, Google Analytics to figure out best practices uh, for how to tie Google Analytics back to your forms and measure conversions and do some actual form testing. Uh, fantastic free download from the guys at Formstack. Google Analytics best practices among marketers. Grab that at bit.ly slash GA report. That's bit.ly slash GA report. That's uh, capital G, capital A, lowercase report. Bit.ly slash GA report from our friends at Formstack. And thanks to them for sponsoring Social Pros. Okay, Jeremy, are you ready? I'm ready. Give it to me. First question. What one tip would you give someone looking to become a social pro? Well, my one tip would be to subscribe to Social Pros and Jay today. Well done. Well iTunes, done. Right? right. Well done. Check um, is in the mail. <laughs> no, I think, um, I think it would be uh, really following and connecting with other uh, social media experts out there and, and really see what they say and, and try to learn from them um, every single day. Um, and then also, I think, just get out there and experiment. Actually, 
jump into all the different channels, um, see how they work, uh, follow people in similar industries or or similar fields that you really want to be a social pro in and uh, really study them, see what they do, see the, how they do it, see what works, and really just try to learn from that and, uh, and then kind of experiment and see what, see what works for you. And the last question for Jerry McPeak, Vice President of Digital for the Phoenix Suns. Jeremy, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Okay, I've thought about this a lot. I'm going to give you two. Okay. Um, I know you said any one, but I'm giving you two. Uh, first would be Vince McMahon, the uh, owner and CEO of the uh, World Wrestling Entertainment. I grew up a, a huge WWE fan and uh, or WWF back in the day, and I'm still a big fan today. And, and me and my 13-year-old watch it uh, every single day now with the, uh, the new WWE over-the-top network. And uh, ironically, I was recruited to uh, come to work for WWE a couple years ago in a, a VP of social position, but couldn't, uh, couldn't make the move for my family to Stanford, Connecticut. But um, uh, I'm a huge fan, and I think what they do with their, their brand and the way they market is incredible. Um, and they really are uh, trendsetters and leaders in the social space in particular. Um, so definitely would be Vince McMahon, number one. And number two would be George Lucas. Um, as a again a lifelong Star Wars fan and and uh, growing up playing with action figures as a kid and sitting on the edge of my seat waiting for the new Star Wars movies coming out here in 2015, um, I would love to uh, pick his brain and hear a little bit about his creative process and and uh, you know I think it's kind of silly to say but I think in a way Star Wars was really an inspiration for me as as a child because it really kind of made me think differently and think creatively and and uh, I think kind of is part of the reason that I gravitated towards um, uh, sort of writing and creating and content and, and video and photography and social media. It's just, it's all I think uh, was kind of inspired in me as, as a youth from, from him and his work. So those are my two, Vince McMahon and George Lucas. I bet you haven't had anyone else say those, either of those yet. Uh, I don't think we have, certainly not in combination. <laughs> and, and and on the surface, it seems like a strange pairing, but but I've been thinking about it as you were speaking, and it turns out it's two people who are great at story and terrible at dialogue. So it actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> there you go. It actually works together. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay, Jeff, are you uh, are you ready for uh, the social media number of the week? As you, I am indeed. As, as you prepare your mathematical goodness, I want to remind everybody uh, that the show is brought to you by the good folks at Xbeon. Uh, speaking of mathematical goodness, I am doing a webinar with uh, Albert Cho from Xbeon on November 11th, 11-11, for those of you keeping score at home. And this free webinar is called Strategies for Cross-Channel Social Measurement. Uh, measuring social media efficacy and impact across different channels can be very difficult. It's certainly complicated. We're going to try and cut through some of that in this free webinar also show you how to create different types of measurement and metrics reports for different levels of your organization c-suite wants one kind of data uh, vps and directors want one kind of data and operations uh, execution layer people want some different data so we're going to work on that show you how to create different reports for different parts of your organization that's the free webinar on november 11th with me and the good folks at XBeyond, longtime sponsors of the show, you should register for that webinar right now at bit.ly slash thinkanalytics. That's bit.ly slash thinkanalytics, all lowercase. And last but certainly not least, Social Pros is brought to you by the good people at Cision, now Cision Plus Vocus, the leading provider of software services and tools to the PR industry, if you need to know who's talking about your company, if you need to know the key media, important influencers in your category, you need Cision. They do a bunch of great stuff. In fact, one of the things they do is uh, they have a, a nifty content amplification engine. So if you want to take some of your great content and promote it via Outbrain and Taboola, some of those things that uh, happen at the bottom of web pages. So if you're interested in this, you might also be interested in this. Uh, Cision has a, a tool within their platform that helps you power that stuff really easily. I've tested it. I really like it. They have a great free download that you should take a look at if you haven't called six tips to help amplify your content it's six tips to help amplify your content from the good people at Cision. you can get that at bit.ly slash amplify Cision. that's bit.ly slash amplify Cision, all lowercase and Cision is spelled c-i-s-i-o-n okay jeff what is this week's social media number of the week 
the number of the week is 22%. 22%, Jay. And it comes from a bit of research that uh, we actually did on the Salesforce Marketing Cloud side of things. Uh, we teamed up with Facebook and um, a leading U.S. retailer, uh, clients of ours, to study the combined effect of email and Facebook ads. And uh, basically, over a couple of weeks, uh, back in April, uh, the retailer targeted about 565,000 email subscribers with both its regular marketing communications and coordinated Facebook news feed ads. And what we were interested in is how uh, does that combination impact uh, click-through response, etc. And um, and so in the overall research um, and 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 the full breadth of people that were reached, uh, about 18% of the folks who were reached opened emails uh, There were and, and only opened emails. There were 27% who only saw Facebook ads, and then 16% opened both emails and were exposed to ads, leaving about 38% of the folks who did neither. Now, of those folks who both opened emails and saw Facebook ads, that combined segment was 22% more likely to purchase than the segment who opened email but did not see ads. So uh, you're seeing a, an interesting um, uh, lift from a coordinated email and social advertising approach. And this was something that I wrote about in my book audience was the fact that now your proprietary audiences are actually going to help your paid advertising work better. Um, and this seems to confirm that, that when you can uh, reach that combined segment of email subscribers and Facebook fans with both email and social advertising, you're going to see a lift. Now, the, the you're going to have to look at your ROI, obviously, to see if that is making fiscal sense for you in terms of that lift providing um, cost coverage for the advertising. But um, I'm hopeful we're going to do more research along these lines because this uh, active audiences type of approach um, that Facebook allows for and that, that we coordinate on um, you know, is really in kind of its nascent early stages. Um, and I think you're going to see more of the social players begin to open their doors to that kind of combined approach where you can map your your direct audiences in email or text messaging or what have you to your social audiences in order to try and get that lift. That is that is fascinating. It makes intuitive sense um, that, that if you see the message in multiple channels, your likelihood of taking action goes up. I mean, that's why it's called a marketing mix, not marketing one thing. Um, do you have data on on the sequencing of that? Is it email then social, or social then email, or or we don't know? I don't. Uh, we have a blog post on this, and Facebook also wrote a blog post on it, so we'll link both of those in the notes. I don't see anything in here on the sequencing, in large part because it's probably dependent on the consumer. Mm -hmm. So you'd probably have some variance in terms of some people seeing one first versus the other. Yep. Uh, but certainly the reinforcement seems to have a positive impact. I mean, you think um, about the things you could do with with Facebook custom audiences where you can only show Facebook ads to people whose email addresses you have. Hey, check your inbox. We just sent you an amazing offer. Um, that's a really interesting uh, option. In fact, Dave Murray, who was on the show last week from Blue Cross Blue Shield Michigan, said that they use Facebook ads to remind people of direct mail they've sent, not even email, yeah. actually postal mail. Um, hey, check your mailbox because we sent you this interesting offer, this interesting uh, guide to being healthier. That's really fascinating. And starting to use uh, highly targeted Facebook ads as as sort of a, a secondary mechanism as opposed to the primary click here and buy stuff mechanism. Pretty fascinating. Absolutely. And I, and, and I think we're, you know, again, I think we're on the very, very early stage of both adoption and evolution of this. If you think about if if more of the data can flow back and forth between um, the, the brand and its proprietary audiences, such as email, text, direct mail, et cetera, where it essentially holds the database, and the social channels where they hold the data and the information about the consumer, um, you're going to see things, I think, happen like, I know this email subscriber clicked but didn't purchase, and therefore I want this kind of tailored message to them. Or, you know, I know this email subscriber didn't open, so give them this type of message. Um, you know, once you get some of that purchase history into the uh, ability to segment and target your social advertising, there's interesting opportunities to grow your share of wallet, reinforce existing messages instead of, you know, what we see with a lot of kind of the remnant advertising um, and the retargeting right now, which is duplication of 
uh, advertising to people who've already purchased your product. Yep. So um, you know that that I'm willing to kind of forgive this era because this is where we're testing it out. We're learning out what doesn't work. Um, but the the flow, the two way flow of that data in a way that's respectful of you know consumer permission, privacy, etc., um, opens the door to some really creative uh, collaboration between what have traditionally been the direct sides of the house and the advertising sides of the house. And those two teams are going to have to talk uh, much, much more because you you simply can't take advantage of these ad these active audience and custom audience products um, with Facebook. Uh, unless those two t- the two sides are talking. Yeah, I mean, what we see all the time is is one of the challenges is people put one retargeting pixel on the whole site. So you have a retargeting pool, which is just people who have been to the site. Uh, and that's a pretty blunt object, right? The best practice right. is to have a separate retargeting pixel for different parts of the site and most definitely a retargeting pixel on people who have actually purchased so that you don't fall into that trap of showing people ads for something they just bought, which just makes you look stupid and you're obviously wasting dollars. So it's uh, it's something that that is enormously powerful if done the right way. And it's actually a great, enormously fantastic segue, Jeff, because next week's guest on the show is John Loomer. Uh, and John is a Facebook advertising consultant, knows about as much as anybody uh, about advanced Facebook ads, super excited to have him on the program been trying to get our schedules aligned for a long time so john's going to be our guest next week and we're going to get super super geeky on uh, advanced facebook ad strategies so uh, for those of you who are longtime social pros listeners um mark your uh, mark your calendar for that it's going to be a fantastic uh, episode and and a great learning experience for a lot of people because he uh he's a ninja no doubt about it this week's guest is a ninja as well. He is a ninja at digital marketing, a ninja, a ninja at social media marketing, and a ninja at staying uh, in the same job for 23 years and counting. He also has a hell of a vertical leap. Jeremy McPeak, Vice President of Digital for the Phoenix Suns, thanks so much for being on Social Pros. Oh, I loved it. Enjoyed it anytime. And uh, thank you for the great recommendation uh, for Mart Ann's, the uh, Breakfast Palace in uh, Flagstaff. Oh, man, that place. I like. I, I have like an Iron Eyes Cody tear falling out of one eye right now because of all the things I miss about living in Arizona, that restaurant is seriously in the top five. So uh, I'm glad that you I, loved uh, Mart Ann's. A shout, out, uh, a shout out to my Flagstaff crew. That's great. I will definitely be going back each year that we uh, have training camp. No doubt. And I'll actually be, uh, I'll be in town a couple times for the end of the year. So uh, I'm going to check my schedule and check the home, uh, home calendar. And uh, I need to get out to a game. I'll, uh, I'll give you a shout. Oh, fantastic. Let me know. And we'll, we'll get you out. That would be fine. Jeremy. Thanks again. Great. Jeff, always uh, good to have you on the program. We were a little concerned there. We had Kyle back to back. And as we said on the show, it was a little bit of a Wally Pip, Lou Gehrig kind of thing. We were concerned that that was it. <laughs> that that was it for Jeff Roars, that it was going to be Kyle Lacey from here on out, that you know you were that was it, that you were going to be bumped. But uh, it's great to have you back uh, and, uh, and being a fantastic contributor to the podcast. Great to be here. And thank you very much, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been Social Pros. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company.